Welcome to the podcast. Uh, this is our third podcast, and I have as a, as a guest today Alexandre. Uh, Alexandre is from Brazil, and uh, he's here at Stop Training Pittsburgh Team Henzo Gracie right now with us. He's been training here for a while and uh, just got his uh, athlete visa approved. So, um, you know, he's going to be staying here as a sponsored athlete, helping out with classes and teaching. Uh, we're going to talk to him today and focus on uh, the ru- rules of competition. Uh, and he's really qualified to do that for two reasons. First of all, he's a really active competitor uh, on the IBJJF circuit. He's, he competes in a lot of brown belt tournaments, has won a lot of titles in the past two years, uh, and, and, and this year has been really active and really successful also. Uh, he's also an IBJJF referee. Uh, so he's uniquely qualified to talk about, you know, how the rules work and how we as competitor or how competitors can get the most of it out of them. Or, or if you're just a fan and you want to kind of understand a little bit better how the rules of, of jiu-jitsu work and particularly the IBJJF. So um, I'll let Alex talk a little bit. Uh, he wants to, uh, to thank some of his sponsors uh, that this help him uh in competition and uh i'll also talk a little bit about some of those sponsors because i'm familiar with them and i i use some of their their products and services also so uh we'll start off with that so alex can you give us kind of a little bit of your background and uh and then just just let us know what you know some of your sponsors are and what what they do what their companies do uh so hello everybody my name is alexander and uh I'm from, I actually was born in Campinas, Sao Paulo, and I went very early to Rio. And I started training around 15, 16 years old. I've been training for a while now. Um, I'm on brown belt under Teodoro Canal. He's a very active competitor in Brazil. Uh, already won pans and uh, placed on worlds. And I'm... So, yeah. So uh, you were saying you 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 kind of started out in in uh, uh, and and that's that's GF team, right? Yes. That's, that's, yes. Yeah. So I'm I'm from Brazil. I'm from a GF team originally, uh, training under Teodoro Canal and Master Julio Cesar, and I came here to to teach over here in Pittsburgh. And it's very curious because I would never think that like I would come here, you know, and like uh, and get a job offer over here while I was visiting. So it it was very curious and uh, it was very good. I, I'm really happy to be here. I really like Pittsburgh. I really like the team over here. Um, I've been very active this year. I'm trying to like compete as much as I can, and uh, it's very been Pittsburgh has been really good for me. And a couple of my sponsors that are really helping me out this year. Uh, especially you guys uh, from Stop Training Pittsburgh, Team Hensel Gracie over here in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, VHTS that sponsors me on uh, gear, so geese, uh, no geese stuff. Dark Star Gear, uh, Thompson Gusick Insurance Group, Half Petrarca from Kaproof Chiropractor. I had an injury on February, I actually fell and I injured my neck. And it was really hard for me to get better from that, and he really helped me out with that. 
Yeah, so uh, I, just some of those sponsors, like I said, I, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with them. Uh, so VHTS makes a lot of good gear, and uh, they, you know, they have some nice no-gi gear as well as really nice gis. So you know, if you're looking for that, look them up online, and uh, you know, that's it's a good place to get some get some quality gear. Um, Dark Star gear uh, is something I personally have, have used, and, and they make knife sheaths, uh, Cladex knife sheaths, and they also make uh, gun holsters and, and other other you know tactical type gear like that. And they're they're very good. He can do custom stuff, uh, and and he really understands you know what what people need and 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 uses the equipment himself so uh he's also a jiu-jitsu student so yeah dark star gear if you need any of that kind of thing any type of knife sheath uh uh gun holsters particularly that's the place to go and uh you know you can always just contact us and we can put you in touch or just look them up online um the Thompson Gusick Insurance Group, uh, also a student here, and really you know helps out with a lot of jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai oriented uh, uh, sponsorships. They do specialty insurance, and if you're looking for some type of specialty insurance, uh, I think they started out in the, the event, like extreme kayaking business. So uh, you know Rick Gusick's our student. He he's a, a really like you know a, a well-known kayaker also involved in jiu-jitsu now so if you need anything like that uh, uh extreme you know insurance for for adventure extreme activities uh that's the place to go um also uh ralph petrarca he's a, a chiropractor and he's worked with a lot of our guys and uh him and and some of the other guys there um they they've helped a lot of our guys so that's a really knowledgeable about uh, jiu-jitsu, grappling, uh, things like that. So if you're in the Pittsburgh area and you need that kind of thing, uh, that's the place to go. Um, well, let's get into kind of the meat of the podcast here. Uh, so Alex, um, I wanted to talk about the first question is kind of how to use the rules to your advantage as a competitor, right? And that's that's not, we're not talking about cheating. We're just talking about how, you know, there's a set of rules. How do we maximize what we do to take advantage of those rules, let's say? And one of the points where that, that really comes in is in the takedown, right? So, like, you start your match out, and a lot of times the first person to score, I, I think, sometimes has a big advantage because that forces the other person to open up, to take some risk that they may not take. Uh, so the first opportunity to score is from feet to floor when in that transition. So one of the times that, that people have been using the rule sets is when someone pulls guard, if, if you reach, you know, reach your hand out or attempt some kind of a, you know, make it look like maybe you're really attempting or maybe you're just, just you know, making it look like you're quickly attempting a takedown, you can usually get a quick two points. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, Alex, and how, how you would use that as a competitor and how you feel as a referee about calling that, that type of situation? Okay, so first of all, I think a lot of competitors go to tournaments without knowing the rules so I think it's very important before you go to compete to read the rules of the tournament uh, me like refereeing a lot of white belts and blue belts sometimes I give them like a punishment point for lack of combative like a combativeness and they look at me not knowing what to do and stop fighting so I think that people need to 
first read the rules and know what you're getting into before you compete. So after that, one of the situations that we are feet to floor, if someone is going to pull guard, for example, places the foot on your hips and you grab the pants and then they sit to pull guard, that's two points. Okay. That's two points for for the the guy the not the guard the guard puller gets get gets uh, two points against them or, or 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 the other the the person who's on top gets awarded two points right yes That's so the, if you're pulling guard on me Warren and right. you place your 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 foot on my hip I grab your pants or your foot and you sit down that's two for me okay another situation is while you're pulling guard and I sweep your leg that's considered a takedown oh okay. Okay, so on this situation, I can be awarded two points, even though it was not a really like a takedown situation, but you pulling guard, but I got an advantage from it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just saw in, it uh, wasn't the most recent, it was, uh, I think, the last month's issue of Gracie Magazine, they analyzed the worlds, and, and I think that was actually one of the the highest percentage, something like maybe 30% of of the takedowns at Black Belt with the gi came from that situation that we just mm-hmm. talked about uh, where someone's trying to pull guard and and the, the person who's uh, being having guard pulled on them turns that situation around by grabbing a pants or mm-hmm. mo- making a forward motion or sweeping the other leg. So uh, it seems like a really common situation at all levels now. Another thing is I see a lot of matches getting outside of the mat area and if you're competing and you're not looking to stay inside the area, so if you're pushing your, your opponent outside of the mat area several times, you will be the one punished, okay? Now, if, the, if your opponent is escaping, is not wanting to fight and going outside, he is going to be punished. And sometimes both of you guys can be punished as well. So a very good strategy is always circle to the inside of the mat. So I actually did that two weeks ago. Uh, My opponent was pushing me outside of the mat and I would circle inside. And he would push me out of the mat, I would circle inside. Sometimes the referee would stop the match. With that, he got a punishment point. And with that, I know that if we tie, I win the match. And what tournament was that at? Was that, so, at, the Bo- was that at the Boston? The yes, Boston so Open that was the, the Boston International Open uh, in New Mass, in Boston, Massachusetts. And I, I got to win that tournament in super heavyweight, so that was really good. But that, that was how actually both of my matches started. Oh, okay. And... Uh, you know, when, when somebody, when you talk about those penalty points, can you describe that a little bit more as far as when you punish somebody for, you know, f- pushing somebody out of the mat or somebody for fleeing the mat? Um, how, how does that system work, those, those punishment points? Okay, so on the first punishment point, you will be punished, no advantages or points involved. The second time you get punish, punished, your opponent is going to receive an advantage. The third time you're punished, you will be punished and the opponent gets two points. The fourth time, I'm sorry, but you're gonna go home. You got disqualified. Ah, okay. All right. So 
And that's that's a judgment call, but there's some criteria that you use as a referee to judge that, right? Like, it, it's definitely there's some judgment on the referee, uh, on the referee's part. But what are some of the things that, for example, if somebody is pushing somebody out of the mat versus you know maybe going out of bounds with a legitimate attack, what do you look for as a referee to to make those decisions? You know, could you give us just a couple examples of you know when you would punish somebody for for anything basically so if i see that someone is going for a takedown and shooting in in someone's legs for example on a single or a double and they're getting out of the mat it's normal things like that happen and i will not punish no one but if i see that he's really not trying to take someone down he's just like hanging around over there stalling and pushing his his opponent away then i can punish him most of the time, I let that happen once, and then after it recurs a couple of times, then I punish the first time, second. If I have to punish more, I'll, I will. Is that something that, you know, going down down to the mat now, as far as, if, like, let's say somebody's in, in a guard position, uh, is there a time when you would punish somebody for inactivity or, or whatever, in the guard, either top or bottom, what would be some criteria you would look for for that? So if somebody is, is uh, stalling, so over 20, around 20 seconds, um, not moving or moving, you know, me and you, we know whenever somebody is stalling because we have experience com- competing and training. So we know whenever somebody does not want to fight. It's just pretending he's doing something to not get punished. Okay. So we as referees, we need to judge. And sometimes it's a little bit hard. But if you stop and you have lack lack of combativeness, you will be punished. And so after a couple of seconds, if you don't move and you're just stalling, you're going to get punished. Of course... If you're not attacking and you're defending yourself, you will not be punished because you're working. Okay. Um, let's go one more one more question about the you know that feet to floor transition. Um, so another thing that can happen is if somebody jumps guard, like jumps into jumps right into a closed guard. Um, it, there is there a rule on that as far as. Uh, you know what action has to take place after that uh could you maybe talk about that a little bit and maybe and or talk about your strategy uh, as far as that jumping guard goes so i like to jump guard okay um i'm very afraid to jumping guard on training so whenever i'm training i try to not jump guard i already saw several injuries happening whenever somebody jumps guard and somebody like uh gets their knee dislocated hurts their knee and actually in tournaments white belts are not able to jump guard they they cannot jump guard at all so what would what would happen if if you if somebody did that as a white belt in a tournament would you penalize them or or would you disqualify them immediately or is it a judgment call on that it's it's more of so th- there's the rules, but sometimes, you know, like the guy kind of jumped, but right. he's like trying to pull guard more than jumping guard, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to judge that, but the white belt cannot do that. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's very dangerous. And we had several injuries happening with that, uh, in Brazil and here in the U S of like 
knees dislocated, um, ligament damage. So the IBJJF decided to take that off of what a white belt can do. Yeah, and that's the same, you know, if anybody's listening to this uh, here, um, that's why, you know, I talk a lot about in, in the classes, uh, especially at the beginner's level, like not to jump guard, because it is a dangerous, you know, you're, it, it's really dangerous on a person who, particularly on a person who's, uh, you know, receiving the guard jump, I guess you'd say. Uh, you can also get hurt jumping guard, too, if you don't know how to do it correctly. So, um, you know, so yeah, we, we kind of uphold that, too. I, I don't like to see beginners doing that here at the school. So uh, that makes a lot of sense that the IBJJF would make, uh, would take that off the table for white belts. I always, whenever I'm, I'm on a match with somebody that is smaller, or if I'm over here at the school training, if the person is smaller than me, I will never jump guard on them. I'm extra careful because if I'm heavier and I jump guard, it's even worse. It's more dangerous for, for them. Yeah. So especially that, I try not to do. But you, as far as in competition, you think that's a that's a strategy you use a yes, lot and you I, like to do I it. use a lot on, on my weight division. And uh, me as a competitor, I know a lot of other brown belt competitors. And we never try to win injuring someone else, you know. So whenever it's somebody that is smaller than me on competition even on the on the absolute division if i jump guard on them i try to be as safe as i can if if the if the opponent is smaller sometimes i pull guard instead of jumping guard because i really don't want to injure someone and uh having that on the back of my conscience knowing that that friend or that fellow competitor that does the same thing that i do for a living or does the same thing that i love uh, is hurt and cannot edit and, and now is unable to do what he likes because of me instead of me just pulling guard so I really try to be careful with that yeah um, another rule I wanted to talk about a little bit that I think is confusing to a lot it, it was confusing to me until we, we kind of I talked it over uh, we talked it over a few weeks ago and then I talked with another referee about it uh, it's it's kind of the rule of of uh, guard passing so if I'll, I'll set this up as kind of an example so let's say uh, Alex is passing my guard right and I roll to the turtle position I go to all fours in the process of him passing my guard he hadn't he hadn't gotten the guard pass yet and I was able to get to that that uh, that position the turtle position or the the all fours position and then I end up rolling rolling back into where he's you know we end up where he's on my side control so the way that i i understand that i guess now is uh he would get an advantage but he would not get the guard pass is, is that correct it's open for interpretation so if i was passing your guard and your turtle and whenever you were an unturtle um i'm on your side i would probably give the three points of the guard okay. pass Okay. Okay. Now, if you turtle up and I go to your back, for example, and I'm trying to get your back, it would be just an advantage. Um, if you turtled up and unturtled to guard, it would just be an advantage. Okay. You would get an advantage even if I did get back to guard. Uh, yes. So what do you think of that as a strategy? Like, you know, some people may, and it's a risk, right? You're taking the risk of turtling up and exposing your back. 
what do you think as far as would that be a strategy that you might use uh, to prevent a guard pass or, or not? Um, it's tricky. So it, it depends on the match. I try to not expose my back very much because if the the back and the mount are the ultimate progression of jujitsu. So I think I would rather have somebody passing my guard than getting my back. And most of the time whenever we turtle, you know, we expose our backs a lot. So what I like to do is whenever I turtle, I don't even go to the turtle position, I already unturtle. But I'm not a big fan of turn, tur, tur, go to go to turtle and uh, to not to avoid to, to avoid the guard pass. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask uh, just kind of you talked about how it's important to read the rules before you go into your competition. What's what's one rule that kind of comes to mind for you that you can think of that? You know, you see a lot of people not maybe not understanding or they don't know it. They go into competition and it's it's a rule or a a, a ruling or, or something about the rules that you think that's a general misconception that you see a lot of people not understanding. Can you can you think of an example of one of those? Um, for white belts, jumping guard. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not a it's not an old rule. So I, I understand that a lot of people have a little bit of trouble with that. Um, another thing is whenever I have a grip with my four fingers or, or my fingers inside of your pants, so like the, the bottom of your pants, so that is a punishment point because you can get hurt and it's very hard to break that grip, okay? You will see a lot of times like matches of guys actually doing that, that grip on purpose, you know? And uh, it's not legal and it's dangerous for whoever is doing it and some people don't know that they can't grab it like that so just by way of describing that grip a little bit more that's what what uh what we're talking about is when you stick your fingers under like the opening of a sleeve or or pant yes or pant leg uh and that that's an illegal grip and uh it's dangerous for the person that's doing the grip and you'll penalize people for that uh, so you can grab your own sleeve. You can put your fingers in your own yes. sleeve, right? But you can't do it on your train, your opponent. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a that is pretty common. I, I see that sometimes also. Um, so let's get into a little bit about uh, the leg locks. I know you like to use leg locks a lot when you compete, um, and you use them pretty successfully in the IBJJF circuit. Uh, First of all, as a referee, what leg locks are legal at blue belt? I'm just gonna I'm gonna ask you, and you can just kind of give a yes or no on it, mm -hmm. um, and I'll describe them a little bit. So, straight ankle lock. Uh, when his leg is on the low side of, of my body, is that that's legal at blue belt? Correct. Yes. Okay. Uh, straight ankles are legal either side. Okay. Okay. So on whether it's on the hot, the yes. upside or the downside. Okay. The only thing is you cannot reap whenever you're doing it. Right. Uh, so that's legal at blue belt. What about a steamer lock? That used to be illegal at blue belt. I think they changed that rule, correct? Mm, yes, I. The steamer lock is a little bit complicated. Yeah. Um, it's kind it's, of a hybrid, right? It's it's yes. twisting, but it's not twisting, and it's it's. But um. It's, that that is a good question, actually. <laughs> that so, is a good question. Yeah. So I, I've heard different things on this also, and I think uh, I think I've I've looked up some of the interviews up from the esteemas and. And 
as far as I know, uh, it, currently I think you have to be a brown belt to use mm-hmm. that. But if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> that's what it, that's what it is. I'm not sure on that one either. But yeah. so we got a steam lock. Uh, you probably stay away from that if you're if you're a, a you know blue belt uh, and probably purple belt. Um, so let's. What about knee bars? Knee bars are illegal at blue belt. Yes, right? so they're illegals. What about they're, purple? They're illegal as well. They're illegal at purple belt as well. And I think that. I, I may be mistaken on this, but I feel like that was changed about six or eight years ago. Also, uh, that that may have been. May, I might be wrong about that, but that that. Uh, so, purple belt you can't do knee bars. No. So brown belt then pretty much all the the legal IBJJF leg locks open up at brown belt, yes. right? You can do toe holds, you can do knee bars, you can do uh, steam lock, you can do all the straight ankle locks. Um, What's the ruling on uh, like joint opening and compression? Like if you know if I'm doing some kind of a, I don't know, like calf crush or, or knee opener and those kind of things. What are the rulings on this? Yeah. So what is really not allowed is uh, can openers. So like uh, any attack to the cervical of your opponent is illegal in the IBJJF. Um, heel hooks are illegal at the IBJJF. In my opinion, that is good for the sport. Jiu-Jitsu, bad for the self-defense aspect of Jiu-Jitsu and for like most of the black belts. Uh, I think a black belt should be able to defend a, a heel hook, you know, and be able to compete with with that as well. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a really, that, that's, that's talked about a lot and I think it's been talked about more lately with the, you know, kind of like rise in popularity of some of the submission only events like the EBI, uh, and things like that, I think that that's that's kind of gotten more and more into the conversation. Like, why are heel hooks banned? And I, I think there's good arguments on both sides. I really I really believe that. I think I think like, you know, definitely uh, it, it's good that that people know how to defend themselves in those positions. Uh, I also think that um, the having you know heel hooks and knee reaping especially at lower levels but really at any level it definitely does put the joints of your ankle and your knee at, at, at you know a, a, some additional risk and people that are competing all the time uh, you know that could possibly I don't know d- damage your careers if they get injured like that but you know so I, I think there's good arguments in both sides that's that's almost a tangent subject that you know we, we don't want to d- delve too deep into that on this podcast but what, what do you think what do you I think, think that on gi I do not think it should be allowed okay and why is it's harder for you to escape so I think it would be a lot easier for you to do a heel hook on the gi and be successful using a lot less technique now on no gi, in my opinion, it's easier for you to defend a heel hook. So therefore, I think that it should it should be allowed, in uh, in the black belt division, on no gi. Yeah, I and you know, like I said, not not uh, beating this subject to death or anything on this podcast, but I, I kind of feel the same way. I'm I'm, and that's kind of how we train in, at the school here. We we do. Uh, I think it's really important to be aware of leg locks and heel heel hooks even. And we kind of start introducing them at, like the, to the upper blue belts, I would say, and uh, the heel hooks I'm talking about. And then uh, uh, we we don't do them at all with the gi here at the school. And uh, and we do encourage uh, safe use of heel hooks 
uh, you know, uh, let's say uh, I think it's two stripe blue belt or whatever, you know, upper blue belt and above uh, in nogi. So, you know, I, I agree, and that's kind of how we we do the training here at the school. Um, definitely, definitely interesting though. Uh, why, you know, be interesting to see people that made that rule, the Carlinos, uh, people that were responsible for making the IBJJF rules, what their really what their thoughts were on on the not having heel hooks. Uh, and I think there's good there's good uh, good arguments on either side. So. Um, we'll leave we'll leave that one go for now and uh, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, some of the standing things like like the gripping gripping strategies yeah like the the double guard pulls things like that uh, what what happens can you talk about that rule when when you know it seems like it happens a lot at lighter weights the double guard pull yeah how, how is that called as is is a referee so whenever there's a double guard pull, they have 30 seconds for someone to get up or someone to get someone's back or really do something, you know. Um, if we have a double guard pull and somebody gets up, it's an advantage for them, okay? If both of them are down and both of them did not get anything, no one got up, we stop the match, punish both athletes, okay? If that happens again, if they double guard pull again, they have they did no one got up, no one got no one's back, no one got in any submission. We stand them back up, punishment points to both, advantage points to both. And if they continue doing that, they will get disqualified. If somebody gets up, advantage for them. Okay. Um Another thing about event while we're on probably this will probably be the last question I have uh, while we're talking about you know awarding advantages, let's say that I have a a submission hold on. Uh, I'm gonna use I'm gonna use an example uh, purposely use an example that's a little bit ambiguous. Uh, what if I have a, a cross choke, a cross collar choke, a lapel choke on on, and. Uh, the the ruling should be as far as for. for for me to get an advantage for that, my training partner has to actively defend the position, right? If he just stands up and ignores my my cross collar choke, uh, it, there is it true that, that I should not get an advantage for that, right? Is that is that how you it's see that? It's open for in- interpretation. Yeah. Okay. So, if you have a cross choke on, for example, me, you know, on from guard, and I get up, and um, my face is all purple, do you think that should be an advantage or not? Probably, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I would award an advantage okay. in, in this case scenario. Even if you don't do any, a, a lot of movement to actively defend it? Yes. Okay. I would award an advantage. Okay. And then, let's say I have a submission. This happened to you in a, recently in a tournament, I think. You, you told, we, we watched, it was on flow grappling, they put the match. Uh, you had a, an ankle lock, and your opponent kind of rolled out of bounds, and... Uh, so what's the ruling on that? If somebody, if you're, if you have a submission and somebody rolls out of bounds, uh, how how do you award? What what should be the call on that? Okay, so the the submission was the the we we, we like to play with the name of it. It's uh the Demetri lock because I do it all the time. It's a, a straight ankle that is a hybrid straight ankle with a with a toe hold. Um, whenever you get out of bounds with a submission, this happens a lot with toe holds and straight ankles. It's the, the, the competitor 
that had the submission hold is awarded two points. Okay, now if for example, I have a triangle on you, you stood up and you get out of the mat area, you get disqualified. Okay. Okay. Oh wow. All right. So that's uh, what about a what about a, just an attack? Like if if you uh, if I'm let's say I have a single leg and you purposely run out of bounds. Uh, and depending the depending of the of the situation, you can get awarded two points. If I'm like like if the takedown would happen, if I didn't get out of bounds. It's two points. Okay. okay. So depending on how how threatening the attack yes. was. Right. Uh, now, for example, you have a single leg takedown on me, and I'm hopping around, and we get out of bounds. That's an advantage for you. Okay. Okay. Versus versus two points. Yeah. All right. Well, that was. Uh, I think I. I, a couple things are a little bit cleared up on my understanding of the rules. Uh, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up today? Um, not really. I think we, we went through like most of the stuff, uh, most of the rules that are really good for the athletes to know. Um, I would say the wrist locks, you know, that uh, white belts are not, uh, they are not allowed to do wrist locks. I think it's something that we don't see that much on tournaments. And I see that it opens up a lot of opportunities. So yeah, wrist so, locks. And, and wrist locks are legal at Blue Belt, correct? If I'm not mistaken, they yeah. changed the rules, and it's it's uh, legal for a Blue Belt Legal right now. for a Blue Belt now, okay. Yes. No, that's good. Um, and then, so, so that kind of gets, I, there is one more thing I wanted to, before we close. Uh, so you, you just mentioned you like, you like to use wrist locks. It's a good strategy, whether to get a submission or to open other things up. Uh, what other strategies do you... Um, you know, without giving away too much of your uh, <laughs> probably your your strategies, what what do you what do you use? You know, how would you use the rules as far as strategically use the rules to your advantage? Can you give us one example of that? Okay, so we start the match, trying to not circle around too much. Okay, uh, I know that a lot of people are fans of uh, Leandro Lua, and he used to be actually punished sometimes whenever he, he was uh, on the match and he used to like circle like uh, for a, a little long time you know and he would be punished for that he would do an entire circle or something and now whenever you see this, the start of the match he does half of what he used to do and then he, he starts engaging uh, so don't circle too much don't like try to like get the grips and get the the fight going um, what I look forward, like whenever I, I start on a match, is having the better grips, okay? And whenever I don't have the better grips, I do not go for a takedown, okay? I try to get the better grips and always stay inside of the mat area if possible. Another thing is whenever my opponent is going to pull guard, if I already know that that opponent does not do any takedowns because we have a lot of people that just pull guard, and do not know how to fight on their feet, unfortunately. I try to have a hold of their pants or to sweep their legs whenever they're pulling guard. So you can get those two points. Yes, that we exactly. About yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So that um, another thing is, I always try to be the one initiating the attack. So I li I like to be the aggressor. Okay, whenever we we start on the match. 
I think that whenever I bring the person to my game, get the grips that I want first, and start doing the things that I want first, you will have to like uh, start opening yourself to get rid of that, okay? So if I put you, you in my game plan first, I think I have the advantage. All right, well, that's, uh, that's uh, we're gonna wrap it up there, and that's good advice. Uh, get after it right away if you're gonna compete and uh, you know impose your game and uh, and I think the ref as a referee you'd like to see that too right you like yes. to see people getting after it so um, we're gonna we're gonna end it there uh, thanks a lot for uh, for talking with us and sharing sharing the knowledge if you guys want uh, you know the show notes the, the certain topics and stuff like that we'll post it on the website stouttrainpit.com that's s-t-o-u-t-t-r-a-i-n-p-i-t-t.com uh, and you know, there's more information about our school there as well. We're in Pittsburgh. We love having visitors. Uh, we, you know, have jujitsu for all levels. We have jujitsu all the time, every day, all, <laughs> all day. Yep. And uh, you know, really for all levels, we have everybody from black belt to to brand new people. So uh, come in and and join our school. Write into us if you have any questions or comments. Uh, we like to hear from everybody too. Uh, if there's any you know clarification or or uh, you think we uh, misspoke on anything we're definitely uh, open to hear that also so um, until the next podcast uh, thanks for listening thank you guys hey everybody Warren here thanks for listening today if you'd like more information on our podcast we have transcripts and some notes on our blog which is found at our website our website is stouttrainpit.com that's s-t-o-u-t t-r-a-i-n p-i-t-t dot com and uh, we also have uh, a contact form there so if you'd like to get in touch with us that's the place to do it also find us on social media our handles are all the same it's stout p-g-h s-t-o-u-t p-g-h on instagram twitter and snapchat Thanks for listening. Goodbye.